if you're on a candidate on the market, you need to meet like a certain, I guess, like minimum bar for like technical expertise. And no one can tell you exactly what that is. It's going to vary from hiring manager to hiring manager. But if you're just like talking to engineers from companies you want to work for, like you'll get a better sense of like, okay, these are the fundamentals the boys need to fill. Welcome to the Exponential Growth Podcast, where we demystify what it takes to break into tech. I'm your host, James Hudnell, and my goal is to highlight real-life examples of people moving into careers they love, so you can too. Hey everyone, today I've got Andy Wong back. Last week, Andy and I talked and we really got into his story, but I, I feel like we kind of rushed it at the end, and I'm so glad that he was willing to come back on and to, to pick up where we left off. Andy, welcome back. Thanks so much for having me back, James. I really appreciate it. Yeah, it was kind of funny, like... I felt like our last meeting easily could have gone on for like two or three episodes. So yeah. I'm definitely glad to be back. Yeah. So I think we left off where you were at Amazon. I think you had transitioned from Wayfair. And what I think I remember, Andy, and I'd love for you to dive into it, is I, I heard you kind of maybe found your stride or hit your stride, rather. And it sounded like you were really getting confident and comfortable in your role and knowing what you wanted and going after it. So maybe if you just want to speak to that, the transition from Wayfair to Amazon and, and how things progressed. For sure. Let's go back to, I think it was end of 2019. I ended up interviewing uh, with Amazon. That was kind of informally my third try at that point. Um, I'd actually been preparing for my my next onsite with Google, but mm. um, Amazon, I was kind of happy to kind of take the other shot with, you know, the previous attempt I had, uh, I got like, you know, recruiter vernacular, they, they tell you you're close, but you can never really be sure. It's yeah. like, uh, I, I tried it for me, it's a little bit more black and white. It's like, well, either you got it or you don't, you don't yeah. score until you score. But second time around, second time around that onsite, I scored. So Start of 2020, basically, I had joined um, Amazon as part of what eventually became their pharmacy group. So a little bit of background for folks who uh, don't know. Um, Amazon Pharmacy, as it is now, was previously a startup called uh, PillPack. And PillPack, fortunately for me, uh, was actually based in the same city of Somerville that I live in now. So like for me, not having to commute and just literally being able to just like walk into the office was a really nice perk. But um, yeah, they had gotten acquired um, by Amazon. Um, they're sort of like rebranded a little bit as like, the two rebranded a few times, but the first rebrand was like, uh, as like pill pack by Amazon Pharmacy. Um, the product, as you can probably tell, it's an online pharmacy. Um, the kind of mission was to kind of make it easier for uh, you know, users, especially if they're like elderly or they have difficult like sort of the, med the medications to basically um, they, uh, make like track prescriptions, uh, pack it, sort it, basically send it to you. Easy to use, kind of prepackaged per day uh, schedule. So I thought that I think that was like a honestly probably the first time that I joined a place and I was like, oh, this mission actually kind of resonates with me a little bit. Um, I think part of that was like as part of onboarding, they have this really fun exercise where it's like they're going to intentionally give you like a pair of glasses that are like really bad yeah. <laughs> and ask like, okay, try to like sort these packets of meds while someone else is talking, talking over you and see how much difficulty you have. That's funny. Um, I think I did well, but I was 
very, very careful because I was like, oh, yeah, this would be kind of difficult yeah. for a certain a demographic. So came on. And yeah, you mentioned it. Uh, and I can go a little bit to more detail. But I think my time at Amazon, if I'm being like very honest, is probably one of my favorite years in development in general. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I say this having worked for about eight years to this point. I was there from basically January to January 2020 to 2021. Um, and I mean, it, it was sort of funny because when we got started, it kind of had uh, reminded me a bit of my first week or so at Wayfair. You know, I think one of the uh, one of the gotchas, especially when you're going from like, you know, relatively speaking, a smaller like a much smaller company to like a much larger one is that you, you like managers it's in their interest to play it safe and be a bit more conservative and like how they talk to talent. Mm -hmm. When I, when I first came to Wayfair at least a bit, you know, even though I had, you know, three years of experience, you know, at a startup, but I was doing a lot of good feature work, doing a lot of things by hand. Um, I, I didn't necessarily feel like that was respected in a way. And I kind of had the same kind of like moment when I first joined with Amazon. Um, so like, you know, I was coming at that point, I had like five-ish years of experience. For me personally, I felt like it was kind of like appropriate goal for me to kind of start seriously stepping into like, you know, big boy senior shoes. Yeah. Um, so I think that was kind of one of the reasons why when I was talking to my manager for the first time, you know, after I joined, because obviously I talked to him during the recruitment, but when we're talking about kind of like, okay, setting me up for like career goals, I was kind of, you know, I'm not usually, well, surprising to some readers, I'm not typically this blunt. There was a point in the past where I was not very this straightforward and honest, yeah. but I was kind of like, I, I think I, would, I asked him like, is it okay if I tell you like what my goals are? And we just like plan around that now. And he was like, sure, it'd be great. And I was like, okay, I want to be like a senior engineer. And I think understandably he was a bit like, hey, like, you know, and appreciate the enthusiasm, but like he didn't outright reject, reject me, but that was sort of the um, the tone because yeah. he kind of talked about like, oh, you know, like you're, you know, this level here now. Yeah. There's a lot of engineers, like you have a ton of engineers at Amazon who are at this level and they're happy. It's a terminal level, et cetera, and so forth. Did you give him a timeline for that, or was it just kind of like, I want to be a senior suite. I'll do whatever I need to. Let's go. Uh, I don't think I gave a timeline, actually. I mean, if I did, I probably would have been, like, you know, within the next, like, next year or two. <laughs> yeah. Which, is, even that is, like, quite ambitious, yeah. look in hindsight. But that was sort of, like, the mindset. Um, and, you know, it's a familiar mindset every time I launch into a new role, whether it's external or internal. Yeah. I kind of feel a bit like a kid again. It's kind of like, yeah. let's, you know, let's do it. Let's yeah. go. Like, you hired me for a reason. I decided on you for a reason like let's do it yeah. um, i think i remember you told me that he told you it was like a very politically correct yeah not really and then you were like okay let's go i'm gonna show you and then i think we kind of dovetailed off so i'd love to to go back to that moment like it sounded like a fire was lit like what happened next yeah i think the the proverbial fire was lit i mean you, you know my background and we talked about this one episode one was kind of like you know, as a non-traditional engineer and as someone who, I mean, I was still at appropriate age, but for me, I always felt like I was a bit behind and that was something yeah. I continue to feel. So yeah. for me, just 
be in a situation again, I felt like, okay, like we've got to, we've got some legwork to, to, to do. And like, I like structure. And for me, just like motivation to be like, let's go is guidance and structure for me. So, you know, I had an onboarding buddy at Amazon. Um, you know, I onboarded at the same time, actually, with someone who got just gotten hired with a senior. And I want to say I had a really close relationship uh, with him. Um, so just like doing a lot of brain picking, you know, my team was, uh, there's this, this term that you've probably heard, like a two pizza team. I think it's pretty, pretty ubiquitous at Amazon where you measure a ideal team size in terms of like how many pizzas it would take to feed you. Right. Like, obviously I mentioned this and some folks are like, well, I can eat half a pizza by myself. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like, okay, good for you. But like maybe for the average person right. who's interested in eating just enough yeah. to be full, that usually translates to like six to eight people, which I think yeah. is pretty fair. So I think we were like an eight person team and, you know, honestly, I, it was a, it was a pretty good group. Like, you know, you hear horror stories, I guess, sometimes from Amazonians, but at least for me in my experience, and this might've been just been because, you know, I was kind of joining this group that was still had that semblance of that, like original origin culture. Yeah. Um, it, it felt like a pretty tight-knit group of really smart individuals who were there, like, believing in the mission, and they're working on tech. So, like, my team, um, it was uh, claims billing automation. Um, so if you think about, um, you know, uh, health insurance, like, claims, you know, that whole state machine is, uh, if you've ever dealt with annoyances in real life. Trust me when I say that the internal plumbing of how all that works and I had to learn all of this is uh, quite a bane. Mm. And coincidentally, this would be like the start of my own like journey where every subsequent role I've had since then has kind of been like, oh yeah, like dealing with archaic and baneful business logic. But yeah, uh, yeah. so claim filling automation, um, good team. Um, basically operating our own platform, like anything claims related, like we own like the base model and other teams, we kind of extend the logic that in itself would kind of be a headache later on. But, um, you know, I think I just like from week one, I think my memory is a little bit fuzzy at this point because <laughs> it was such a blur, yeah. but I felt like at week one, I was just like pushing code. Um, nice. you know, we had a, you know, it was sort of like a part of onboarding because the main consumers of our platform was actually like internal ops users. So we have like a, I think like a, what we call it? Like a, like ops facility, like fulfillment center, sorry, fulfillment center for the medications, I think like New Hampshire or something. So like my first, within the first month, you know, we'd make several trips up there. We'd meet like the team lead there, kind of like understand their pain points. Yeah. And, you know, I thought like that for me was also kind of like a novel experience. And when you, and I, you know, I recommend this as like a pro for anyone who's ever working like a platform, working on something that's actually be used for internal users. It's like, you know, one of the difficulties I feel with uh, product oriented software engineering is that, you know, sometimes you're disconnected from who the end user is. Yep. But in my case, it was just like, oh yeah, like, you know, Brian on Slack or whatever, yeah. <laughs> or Brian in person when I'm visiting on site. So just kind of like making sure that whatever we're building, like makes their lives easier. Right just that rapport and these are like you know building that rapport directly with customers 
interviewing like other other operative like trainees, etc., and just being like, okay, you're using these internal tools to fulfill, you know, medical claims for medications. Like, yeah. what can we do to make your life easier? What are the pain points? What takes about our tooling like takes forever to load? Yeah. All that kind of feedback. stuff feedback loop there with talking to your end user to your point and it sounds like even though you joined this behemoth of a company in amazon it's, it's like you joined the uh the skunk works startup division with that the derivative of pill pack so you got maybe the best of both worlds that's what i told myself and you know i feel like that's been mostly true i mean i had a similar setup at google and a similar setup now with cash app um you know coming from wayfair and coming from a start before that i think benefit of hindsight there is a nugget of truth to being like you know if you're able to join a team or kind of skunk rookie organization that's can be a blessing in terms of like productivity and engineering velocity just because when you're in like the mothership yeah. there's usually so much like red tape and so much like overhead and some of it's like inevitable yeah um but i think like getting a good balance you, like, you can get a better balance in my case by kind of working for sort of that like subsidiary or that niche because you know even if it's feels like a different org like yeah from the mothership's perspective everyone's compensated the same so it's kind yeah. of like you're not really giving anything up right um but you know that said i will caveat that by saying that i think at the time that i joined because we were been acquired and there was kind of work being done to kind of integrate more with you know aw systems i think there was um i think there were like some sentiment even at that time that the culture was starting to you know change a little bit as yeah. you know hiring was being done by amazon and um you know different processes were being implemented yeah. but at least for me, because I didn't, I was coming in post acquisition. I didn't really have that kind of like historical knowledge of like how good it may or may not have been. Right. I was just kind of like, you know, just totally. focused on, focus on the present essentially. Yeah. You were there a year, I think you said, and at the same yeah. time you had this fire lit under you. So what changed at the end of that year? Were you not able to do what you wanted to do at Amazon, which is what prompted the change or how did that play out? So. I guess a few things, like one of which, like a personal reason is that I was actually, um, uh, be, that was, I think my wife was pregnant at, at the time. So I was expecting and like, as much as I enjoyed the competition and perks to an extent, I think the uh, paternity leave, I would say was not great. I mean, it's probably changed by then, but at that time that I was there, I think it was like six weeks or so. Okay. Just kind of like a below, but you know, quote unquote industry standard. I yeah. say that in quotes because it's like you know that's still better than nothing, which I know yeah. some companies roll out with. Um, so I think from like a benefits perspective, I was kind of looking for something with a bit better, um, like balance lead policy. I think professionally, you know, I was a little bit burnt out, like just a little bit. Um, you know, I had I think between I would say. Uh, like around over the summer of that year, you know, I was kind of, um, assigned to a few like mission critical features. Um, one of which I actually took on from this, my senior friend who I mentioned earlier. Um, and I was like doing all ton of like email thread, follow up Slack convos, uh, managing like expectations from stakeholders, other engineers collaborating with. Um, I, I'm kind of like skimming some details because it's kind of like, 
I don't know to what extent I'm still like under some kind of NDA or whatever. Sure. Um, but I think I was basically uh, managing a couple of uh, very large features internally that are necessary to kind of like launch as Amazon Pharmacy. And I was maybe fizzling out a little bit. Um, and actually, I, I, I don't think I fully recovered from that, but I'm better now. And then the other thing is like privately, I was always still kind of hoping for another opportunity to re-interview at Google. Hmm. You know, like, you know, just like, you know, I had reached a point probably halfway through my year there while I was at PillPack to where, like, as I mentioned, I had a kind of like a follow-up one-on-one with my manager. And at that time, it was sort of like very affirmative. We were talking about, you know, my body of work at that point. And I think he could kind of feel that I was like, still have my foot on my foot on the gas pedal. Google was like your end, almost like a dream, so to speak. Like that was the goal, maybe subconsciously before. I don't think it was a goal, but I just like really wanted a shot to like self, I like self redemption. Okay. Cause that was the first time that I ever felt like kind of got creamed. Yeah. It was the first time I really got creamed in an interview since right. like, that's the one you said, I think, last week where you didn't make it past lunch, but you still kind that of was a different experience. company. But this was the okay. that was a different company. But this was like my I still got creamed during Google was on site. Okay. But I still blasted through it. And I came okay. out of it being like, okay, I I won another shot. Because you know, after that I just felt like, okay, I there's so many things I could have done better and I just yeah. didn't prepare for. And okay. you know, it's such a pattern with me actually at this point that whenever I interview at a place, I almost always go for like one for two. It's like the first time interview, I kind of just get nerves yeah. and like I get nerves to anyone listening. Like it doesn't matter how many problems you do. It just happens. Yeah. I always get nerves on the first try yeah. and I underperform. And the second time I'm kind of like, okay, I've got this. Like it's happened with Amazon, it's happened with Google, it's happened with Meta. Although I've never taken up the offer at Meta, not, not anyway. Um, Netflix, next in line, interview with there, did by my own standard really poorly. So like, look out to whoever recruits me next time. I'm coming to, I'm coming to take your asses. On the, on the radar. Yeah, there, there you are. Apple would be on there too, but they don't do remote because... Um... They don't have to. Let me ask you about that, Andy. It sounds like these, these big, these are big, massive tech companies. And I get the allure because I, I, I share that sentiment with you, although I, I am happy at LinkedIn in my current role. But I think I also remember from last week when we spoke where you kind of originally envisioned yourself in more of a, a smaller business environment. So I guess I would ask, did did something change therein, I guess, as you've evolved as a developer? It, it's interesting. I posted about this oh, probably about a year ago, but like my quote unquote dream jobs when I was like still, like when I was, I was still working at you know, my first job, like were like Raise Labs, like Intrepid Pursuits, like ThoughtBot. These are all like development agencies, right? Because at least for me at that time, I kind of idealized this like working on, you know, multiple different projects over the course of my tenure, being able to do kind of like startup-y zero to one development. Um, and like to an extent, I feel like if, you know, golden handcuffs weren't an issue, that's still probably, you know, what I'd be interested in is just like getting exposed to a lot of early stage stuff, maybe being a founding engineer, maybe dipping into entrepreneurship or working for a company that like, you know, I personally 
am a fan of, what my family is personally a fan of. Like, um, I, I always, uh, I joke that if I had like full reign and had like no care in the world for financials, I'd probably like join the house of mouse, you know, mm-hmm. be a Disney streaming service kind of dude. Nice. Um, but you know, say, Libby, I would say if anything changed, I would say it was sort of just like, like personal reprioritization, um, you know, getting married and having, or planning for kids, um, you know, going through some personal circumstances and just kind of like seeing like, oh yeah, like it's difficult to support the folks you want to support sure. unless you kind of have like a really strong foundational base. And for me, that was sort of like, you know, making enough and earning enough and having the right perks that, you know, I don't really have to worry about it like yeah. ever. Also, you know, housing is expensive. Like, I don't want to be renting forever. Yeah. Yeah. No, Especially fair. in my neck of the woods. So, but you know, who knows? I still have in my peer view, like a very long future. So yeah. there's still that opportunity that maybe like, oh yeah, when we've kind of like paid off the mortgage and my kids are kind of like pretty much settled and they're out of yeah. the house, I'll be like, yeah, let's, let's go back to Disney. See if yeah. Still yeah, no, that's awesome. So, go, so going back to Amazon, in that year, paternity leave isn't what you would have liked and you still got Google on your radar. So how did that opportunity present itself? How did you sever ties with Amazon? I think I actually interviewed with them I think halfway through the year, actually. Okay. So I basically got back in touch with my old recruiter. I think it was my old technical sourcer, and I was kind of like, hey, like, are you still with the company? Can we just kick the tires on this conversation? Um, and they were receptive to it. I mean, at that time, Google was still basically always hiring. <laughs> um, but I actually interviewed there. And, you know, even after I joined Amazon, like I never really stopped like we coding. Like, I think to that point, I had just been kind of like, kind of like passively preparing for like a year or so. Um, it, uh, part of it was kind of like, yeah, I need to overdo it. But part of it was kind of like, well, you know, I guess I'm just, you know, addicted to grinding at this point. It's like, you're, I, I felt like, you know, kind of like the a very uh, kind of like early career obsession with just seeing like green dots on a screen yeah. being like, okay, well, you know, I've already accumulated like 200 days. What's another, you know, 150 to yeah. fill up a year. So, um, so I got in touch with my old sourcer and they put me through, um, I guess, you know, there was maybe enough, some pop hints of positive feedback. So I uh, went through a first round as, pretty much a breeze at that point, got to the onsite. Um, I see, I think my first problem was like a, like a dynamic programming, like kind of, it's like, it was sort of like game-based. I remember this, like a, the problem had like the prompt involved like coding something that you might, an algorithm that you might use in like a Tetris game. So I'm like, that's weird. Um, I ended up solving that with like backtracking next few problems were like, you know, pretty typical big tech topics like binary search graphs. Um, I think there's like one behavioral round where they kind of ask kind of like the prototypical Googliness questions. But I mean, overall, like, I don't, and I don't, I don't know if it's just like a product of like, you know, my preparation or a product of kind of the like interview interviewers I had, 
because first time interviewed, I felt like my interviewers like addressed really, really hard problems. Yeah. Um, like all like recursion, that graph DP stuff. But at least the second time I felt like, like I actually, no, I'm doing the revisionist history. What really happened was the first interview, um, I went through the second one, I got halfway through and then I realized, oh wait, by my own standard, I'm not doing really well. So I'm probably not gonna get this. So forget about it. I don't care anymore. And that kind of just like internal stress relief of like, I'm not getting this either way. I'm just gonna like kick back and chill and just have it in my mindset. That coincidentally actually worked worked out really, really well. Cause in the following next sessions, I just kind of like breezed through in the final feedback that I received from the, I mean, you know, feedback I say in quotes, cause usually you don't get like very thorough feedback at these larger companies. But they're like, I think my memory, my memory of it was like, yeah, no, you just kind of got like ace everything, and I was like, the heck, yeah. um, you know, the, 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 there's like a few hints that the recruiter gave me, like as far as like, you know, they had the feedback from my last interview. There was like definitely a notice that like I'd improved significantly. Yeah. So I think maybe you know if I believed in that. That could have been a factor just seeing how much I improved over the, over the last you know, year, year and a half of prep. Um, and yeah, I, it was, it was funny. So the way that Google does their kind of like post interview process is like you interview, you have like the hiring bar or hiring committee. And then I think you don't actually get your offer, I believe until after team matching. Okay. So I, I don't know if it's changed. I think some candidates, depending on the org, you might get your offer first, but team, you, or you, and then you get team matching. But basically I was in team matching for like the, I want to say like latter half of 2020 and like early, uh, yeah, it was like latter half of 2020. Um, so team matching for folks who are not in the know is sort of a process where, you know, typically with larger companies, um, you kind of like interview, not for like a specific role or a specific team, but it's sort of like a pipeline to where like, oh, you are applying for this kind of like broad category of roles after which, because, you know, maybe all these different teams hire fairly generally, or they like are looking for like kind of like a foundational, like cross applicable skills. Um, So, you know, you pass that, you kind of do reverse interviewing with like different hiring managers, it's sort of like on the recruit. It, your experience can vary. I think a lot of it comes down to your recruiter because like they're responsible for kind of like keeping a finger on the pulse of like what roles are open and trying to like pitch like pitch you to the hiring managers, seeing if they have interest, vice versa. Then you need to meet for like you know twenty minutes, half an hour. Most of that time is them describing your team, and then you have like a very small amount of time to pitch yourself and be like so. Um, I would say probably the biggest pain I experienced during this point, and maybe it kind of contributed to kind of like my uh, mixed results from team matching was that like, you know, I had spoken with some Google friends and they kind of told me that, you know, uh, you know, like be, be affirmative of like what you want. It was very like pro employee empowerment, mm-hmm. but I kind of took that to mean that like, uh, to be, I, I kind of took that to mean like, oh yeah, you're interviewing them and you're kind of like in the driver's seat. 
But actually, it was sort of the opposite. Like, you're still kind of being interviewed. Like, you still need to do typical interviewer etiquette, which is kind sure. of like listen attentively, show a lot of enthusiasm, at least if you want to, like, get a role. So did you, uh, Andy? Or, or I did actually that? get I did, yeah, yeah. I, I did end up team matching with like the Google Flights team, which was a team that uh, was kind of based in my area, fortunately. Um, but it was like I went through several team match interviews before then. Um, part of it was this like hiring; it hadn't completely halted, but it was kind of slowing down. So this was like near the end of year one COVID, I want to say, um, and so you know headcount was kind of dwindling my area by def like already there weren't that many opportunities um and i kind of feel <laughs> I, I in hindsight i kind of like wished i pushed out the team matching a little bit further because like you know uh, i earlier the following year there'd be like you know new headcount so i'm like ah dang it i could have had more opportunities mm. and i know that because even after i joined i checked in like because there's an internal portal and be like okay see like what are the teams i could have joined if i was a little yeah. bit more patient but, you know, at that point, I was kind of uh, expecting soon. So I was kind of like, okay, well, you know, let's just join and yeah. see how things shake out. So, yeah. And yeah, now, just I, to, to rehash, you were going through this process with Google while also leading those major initiatives that you alluded to at Amazon, right? Yeah, there was some overlap in that period of time. Okay. So safe to say I was like pretty busy. Yeah. But I was pretty busy. I was pretty much pretty busy during my entire time at Amazon, to be honest, because between like interview prep like mock interviewing aggressively because I was just kind of like, you know, you're still, I, I never kind of let go of that mindset, right? Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's kind of how I ended up at Big G. Yeah, Google. so you, you joined Google. Now, now talk to me about that paternity leave. Was that immediate? Was it close? And, and this hits near and dear to me as well, Andy, because I, right before I joined LinkedIn, literally not even a month, I think, my wife and I had our first and after reading the documentation, I, I wasn't eligible anyway because I wasn't an employee when that birth happened. But I don't know, maybe this is me being naive and too childish thinking, well, I joined this company and I'm gonna take off immediately. Maybe it doesn't seem fair, maybe it does. So I'm, I'm just curious in your own, no, no judgment or anything like that. How did that play out? Did you take that paternity leave immediately? Were you supported in that decision? Yeah, I think that was one of the, like once, once I had found that manager and we were like pretty mutually interested in moving forward, the first thing I emailed my recruiter was kind of like, oh, by the way, now that, you know, now that the offer's in the bag, let me tell you <laughs> that I'm going to be taking, I'm, I'm planning on taking like, you know, three months off. Order of operations are important there. Yeah. I cannot stress how stressful it was for me to figure out exactly what was like the proper protocol yeah. Because, like, you want to make the impression, but you also don't want to, like, you also, you want to make a good impression, but you also don't want to be compromised, you know, the time that you want to spend with your family. So, yeah, um, yeah I basically told her FYI, and, you know, she forwarded me to the manager and we hashed it out. And, like, you know, I think the nice thing about Google is because they have so many engineers and they have, so two things. A, like, Google's a moonshot factory not just X, but the initiatives that they, you know, hire and plan for, like compared to like kind of like the weeks to months timeline that I was used to at Amazon. At Google, it's more like 
you know, we had some features or some like epics that were measured in terms of like months to maybe like a year out. Like there's a lot of technical complexity, even when you get onboarded, like, uh, like when you get onboarded, even when you join, right? It's kind of like, no matter what you do up to a certain amount of time, like everyone will get the same rating, okay. which is kind of like, you know, your meet expectations. So it's like, it's that's like that's like in some ways bad for overperformers because it's kind of like even if you really overperform, it's kind of like and it, you know you still get like the same rating or if you underperform you get the same rating but i get it. it's kind of like a psychological safety thing like they want to make sure that you kind of have sufficient time to really like settle in to understand the google network and systems and like to be fair there's a ton of just stuff and documentation and like it really is one of these organizations that if you wanted to, you could just probably sit there and just read docs like all day long yeah. and just keep learning new stuff forever. Yeah. But, Let me ask, was that rating nuance known ahead of time or did you figure that out after the fact? I think I figured that out. I mean, it was it was probably out there, okay. but you know, I, I at that point did not spend a whole time, lot of time on like Reddit or Blind sure. or whatever. So okay. um, I think tying back to you know that whole um the the nuance and timing so like you know my first point um google has a ton of flexibility owing to like a ton of um resources and engineering manpower um and so you know when i broached that subject of like hey fyi like is it okay if i just join and you know there's this window of like, i'm going to be taking leave i don't know if it's going to be immediate or it's like a month in and I was stressing about it because I was like, oh, I hope they approve it. And my manager was like, yeah, sure, like whatever. It was just the most nonchalant answer wow. provided that I was speaking for the first like 15 minutes just being like, oh, yeah, but, you know, I'll be yeah. you know, trying to like soften the blow or whatever. And they're like, yeah, sure, like whatever. Take the time. Right. We have tons of engineers. Like, wow. <laughs> like your, 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 your team is not going to sink or swim in your absence. And I was yeah. kind of like, that's great, but also like, huh. <laughs> maybe I should be concerned about that. Maybe I should be concerned that, you know, I, you're basically implying that, um, place war. Yeah. But, but everything will be fine. So you, so, so you took your paternity leave. It sounds like you were supported through it and then you, you come back. How did that continue? Yeah. So I did, I did a kind of a weird thing where I tried to stagger my leave a bit. So I took basically, I joined, I worked for about a month or so. So I joined in February, January, daughter was born in February. So I was there onboarded for about a month, um, left for leave for six weeks. I actually came back for six weeks because at that point my wife was still on her break. So she was kind of helping with childcare. And then I took another six weeks off because her leave ended. And then it was my time to kind of like come back on and kind of be primary turkey taker. Um, and then I kind of came back I think it was like, so just doing the math, it's like middle of 2021 where um, I was basically there and I was basically just working up until I left. Um, it was, uh, you know, I want to say it was an interesting experience. I mean, I, I still try to struggle in some ways. I still try to struggle a little bit with like, how to properly describe my time at Google, not just because, you know, as a role, as like a policy, I don't like talk about past employers until a certain amount of time has passed, 
but you know, probably a certain amount of time has passed. So, you know, I think, as I mentioned, it's large company, um, well, though it's large company, large company, a lot of resources, a lot of infrastructure. I mean, if you're an infrastructure engineer, this is my pitch to you, join Google, because it's at least by big tech standards, they have like the best tooling out there. Part of it is just because so much of what they do is like bespoke to their particular setup, but sure. you know, still you learn a lot. Yeah. So a few things that kind of like stood out to me um, that I thought ended up snowballing into contributing factors to why I was interested in leaving. Um, so like first thing, and I don't know how much of this was just because at that point I was, I was I onboarded and started remotely. That was probably a factor as well, but it felt a little bit like silo-y, a little bit like silo-y. Sure. So like coming from my previous experience, you know, at Amazon, which was like a very like top-down product-driven environment. And I was just basically like in touch with my EM, with my teammates, with my, you know, PMs, like constantly just figuring out like, what's, what are we going to work on next? What are we going to prioritize next? I felt like my, at my time at Google was very much like a 180. Like I had a PM, um, he was actually a PM who was actually previously an engineer. So it's kind of like, it's in some ways it's still kind of like you're being product led by an engineer, but I, I didn't feel like there was quite that same like tight integration of like, you know, working alongside, um, working alongside folks who are driving the product decisions. I mean, I know that was happening, but it didn't really feel like I was quite in that same kind of like, um, like that sort of vibe. I must like roll it up and just say, use the word vibe. So that was sort of like a, a different feeling that I was sort of getting used to. Um, and I think another thing was just in terms of like velocity, like there's such a emphasis at Google on like, I guess, engineering excellence and make sure you cover all your bases and edge cases. Um, which I would say for what they do, fair. I would preface this by saying like everything they do internally makes sense for them. Yeah. But at least for me, I kind of noticed right away um, because you know I had joined, I, uh, at the end of the first month, I was assigned a task and I offboarded for leave. I came back and that was still like in progress because there's so much back and forth. And for me, that was like unusual because I thought like, is that really should have been like, you know, kind of back and forth for like that many weeks. So I think that was another kind of thing. Um, obviously preface this by saying when you join a large enough organization, every team's going to be different. So like, don't take what I say, dear listener, and yeah. use that as like, oh yeah, like make generalizations. Yeah. Um, and then I think the last point was just kind of like uh, career growth and promotion. I feel bad mentioning this part because um, the person who I'm speaking about is gonna know, like know I'm referring to them right away and just be like, dang it, Andy, you threw me under the bus. But I had one teammate and he was a very candid personality. Like he's, to the state, he doesn't know, he's probably one of my favorite people like in the world. But we had a very candid conversation about like promotions at the organization and just kind of like, you know, who was already, had been, you know, waiting on the promotion for X amount of time, because I had kind of made the observation that like, you know, we had, you know, my group had a ton of just super talented engineers who'd been in the industry for so long. And, 
you know, when I kind of dug around and figured out like, you know, where they were from the leveling standpoint, I was actually kind of, you know, most of the time it makes sense, but then in some cases I was kind of like, like shock, like you would be like, you know, senior staff principal elsewhere. Yeah. Um, so I think compounding those factors ultimately is sort of what led me to being like looking to probably move earlier than the average Googler. And when I say average Googler, you know, average Google tenure is like three years. Okay. I didn't even make it to like a year and a half. So in no way is my experience prototypical of the Google experience and I'm not a typical Googler. So I guess it's another reason for like, please don't ask me about my experience there because I yeah. cannot speak to the norm. Yeah, no, I love that, man. And I, I really like your point about the, the remote work and feeling like you were kind of in a silo there because I know I feel that today. I don't think that's not a secret. You know, my team is, I guess half of us are on site, half of us aren't. And, you know, that it's pretty well known that especially on the remote side and other colleagues that I have outside of my team at LinkedIn, and I'm sure it's all throughout the industry. I guess that's the, the caveat to remote work. It's great to have a 15 second commute to your home office as opposed to having to go to the office intermittently or every day. But to your point, you, you can feel siloed, especially in a bigger organization. So all of that is to say, thank you for sharing that. And now for your post Google, your next move, were you planning to try to find something that was either a hybrid or in person to offset that? Or were you hoping that that just might be a side effect of such a, an organization like Google? Yeah, I think I want to say it's a bit of both. There was when I was looking for my next role, like I had a, I had a laundry list of a few items. Um, one of which was I had a particular combination of like title and compensation that I was looking for. Okay. In part because, again, like I just mentioned, I was really interested in uh, more senior roles. And also I kind of like, <laughs> context, my wife gets on me sometimes when I'm spending like too much time on prep. Because <laughs> I... You know, I happen to do that sometimes when I'm yeah. really in the mode. And so I kind of hit it, made a promise to her, like, okay, okay, okay. Like, okay, give me this amount of time. Yeah. I promise at the end of this tenure, I will get this role and make like this wild benchmark. So yeah. I like free, I set myself up for failure in a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, but you know, I mean, like I, I, I tend to make things work out more often than not. So I had, you know, this criteria, um, and obviously just uh, having a role that was remote friendly, um, like actually like full-time remote friendly and preferably with an organization that sort of like embraced that. Mm -hmm. um, so when it came down to it, I actually had a pretty small number of companies that I was interested in at, at, at that point. Um, funnily, funnily enough, Block was not one of them at first, mm -hmm. um, you know, Two that I can mention, I think I, like there were uh, Meta, Netflix, DoorDash. DoorDash was weird because the team was on site, but the manager was kind of like, you know, low key, hush, hush. Like, yeah, you can, you can join. Mm -hmm. It's one of those, at that point, not a lot of companies were just doing remote, but there were a lot yeah. of managers who were kind of like, yeah, well, you know, we, we all did relocated. So it would be hypocritical of us to not let you have the same flexibility. Uh, there was one startup that I had a friend working at and then there were probably like a few other places I did just kind of like to have more practical prep, but you know, those are the kind of like core group of companies I was interested in. And I was, that was interviewing with basically the 
end of 2021. Okay. So I got offers at two of those places, kind of got rejected from the others. So like 50%-ish, you know, batting average. <sighs> you know, setting up myself up for failure. You know, I in one case, it got down-leveled. Um, in the other case, I kind of was maybe asking for a bit much because, you know, uh, pro tip, don't bring up levels FYI to a recruiter because it's not going to go well because okay. recruiters hate that site. You'd be yeah. like, I, I didn't end up pursuing either of those offers. Okay. Um, and so then I think beginning of 2022, when I joined, yeah, start 2022, I was kind of like, I was getting a little bit grimmer because it was like, yeah, okay, maybe I'll just stick around at Google. Like the, the market was sort of still hadn't really fully recovered. And I was trying to figure like, who have I not applied to yet? Because I've applied to most places. And I was like, and then as I just started a thread, I think it was like an anonymous blind uh, thread on blind. I was kind of like, okay, who, like who is out there who is actually fully remote, who does remote really well. And like a few names came up, you know, GitHub, I think it was like Atlassian, like, like Square came up. And I remember I was like, oh yeah, like Jack Dorsey, he was one of the first like major CEOs very early on, just be like, forget the office. Everyone is just going to work remote. We're going to transition right away. We're going to make it super seamless. And I was kind of like, yeah, no, like I've, I never heard anything bad about like Square or Twitter. Yeah. And at that time I was kind of like, yeah, I guess Dorsey is kind of like those, you know, enigmatic tech leaders that you kind of just kind of like put your trust into because they kind of got that Riz, that charisma. Yeah. Um, so I, uh, did just like one last interview round again half companies like didn't give me an offer that's fine but square wasn't the half that did yeah. and uh yeah i i was actually kind of shocked because we didn't really discuss leveling so much like leveling and salary and all that stuff but like once i got past the first round and we were talking about like the full on-site and one thing i actually really appreciated about um, my interview process like my recruiter I'm hoping she knows who she is she was like super like super transparent about everything before we even got to, like the offer so she let me know like and I was a little bit floored because it was actually more than I was expecting like mm -hmm. on both sides leveling and um, title so I was like heck yes yeah. <laughs> I'm this close might as well go for it yeah. Um, and yeah I I want to say, like, I got it. I did really strongly in the interview, and I've basically been here since. I'll say this a few things. I've been here about a year. Um, I really enjoyed it. This is like a plug for anyone else who's interested. Um, you know, I when I originally pitched what I was looking for to all these companies, it was kind of like, you know, I've gotten this experience at Amazon and Google. They're both kind of like cultural 180s from each other. And I'm kind of just looking for something that was kind of like in between, sure. right? So my work now is Cash App. Um, it, it, I'll be honest, I think it was a little bit hesitant at first because all the kind of like room, like news you kind of heard or that I read like anonymously was like, oh yeah, like Square is great. Cash App is kind of like its own startup. It's kind of like super wild westy. Mm. And like, you know, some folks, may interpret that negatively like yeah. you know because if you're going for you know big name stability sometimes the thing you don't want is like instability yeah but like my whole career has been marked by 
wanting things that others don't want and basically yeah. zagging when others zig. So I'm kind of like, you're telling me that there's like fires all the time yeah. <laughs> and it's like wild westy and it's kind of like folks are doing whatever they want. Yeah. That sounds awesome. Yeah. Yeah. No, you found the skunk works again within a relatively large corporation and yeah, you get the, the startup vibe. Yeah. And like, you know, the culture, like culture is, I think something that gets a spotlight sometimes in companies. Cause it's like, Sometimes culture is like real, like legit. It actually permeates and something that, you know, matters. And sometimes it's just kind of like, oh yeah, like corporate family buzzword lingo. But at least, you know, I found that the culture here has actually been like pretty genuine. Like yeah. the people here are actually like legit kind. And I've kind of had that echoed like everyone I've talked to. So yeah. I'm kind of like, it's funny. You went from like, from Amazon. It's like, it's such a weird evolution, right? Because if you, you know, Amazon people like really intense, yep. uh, intense and stressful. And then you go to like Google, at least my team is like, uh, no offense to anyone, but like really nerdy and really intellectual. And I just kind of get to like really nice normies who just kind of happy to be here. <laughs> yeah. So it's kind of like, cool I'm, I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty sure I'm going to stick around here for a little bit at least. Yeah. No, that, that's so cool, man. Before we finish, I, I want to throw you in the hot seat. I've got a few questions to, to help me and the audience better understand you. But before I go there, I, I want to ask, given all of that, given your undergrad in psychology and then this whirlwind of a journey that you've been on, to those out there listening that don't have that CS degree, I guess, given the perspective that you have, do you have any specific advice for them to try to pivot into tech? I think I've been trying to think about this because for anyone who already reads me, I think in my last, the last post, which is weeks ago at this point, cause I've just been busy. I kind of promised that I would write about like what to do and I haven't followed through yet. And I feel so guilty about it. So for anyone who's waiting on that, this is, this will be my official response to my own, to, for, my, for my own setting myself up for failure. Once again, I think step zero is no fundamentals. No basic math. I feel like it doesn't really get like banded around as much. Um, I say this because like I do, you know, uh, Cash has its own kind of like internal bootcamp for non-engines, and that's been it. I've been it's been really rewarding for me, but it's also been kind of like a little bit eye-opening because it's kind of like, oh yeah, like when you are coming at this from like a completely different field where you don't have exposure to anything like CSE or mathematical, it's kind of like just seeing you know the, the variance and gap so i'm kind of like before anything show up in your math take like a pretty basic courses remind yourself if it's been a you know a couple of years since college plus minus multiplication division mod all your operators you don't really need to know, know, know a ton of math to really excel in software engineering but just kind of like reminding yourself of the basics and just being really snappy with it or you know knowing how to like boot up wolfram, wolfram alpha and just use yeah. that for all your day-to-day -day needs Secondarily, you know, CS fundamentals. I struggle with this a little bit because it's kind of like, I don't want to be too prescriptive. Yeah. Like I have an interesting, um, I guess my perspective on kind of what it comes down to like technical upleveling is that if you're on a candidate on the market, you need to meet like a certain, I guess like minimum bar for like technical expertise. And no one can tell you exactly what that is. It's gonna vary from hiring manager to hiring manager. But if you're just like talking to engineers from companies you want to work for, like you'll get a better sense of like, okay, these are the fundamentals the boys need to fill. So like I can't stress enough, like get that math and CS fundamental stuff early in 
Um, I don't. There's a great course I think by the Prime Engine on Frontend Masters. I think it was free. I'm not sure if it still is, but it kind of goes over like uh, basic algorithms, like a few more advanced ones or intermediate ones um, on like Frontend Masters and like that. Actually, general plug for Frontend Masters. If you have you know whatever fifty bucks a month lying around, I'm not sure what the subscription is. Feel free to blow it on that because okay. something I've learned recently is that like access to coursework that's done by folks who've actually done teaching is really valuable. So yeah. please go that. Um, as far as the actual job search itself, you know, I think for better or worse, much of that effort is going to be like initiated by the job seeker. Like, you know, I'm fortunate, I guess, that in my point of my career, I kind of can just have that flywheel running of folks coming, recruiters come to, coming to me, or if I ask you referral, like I've got the network. But like for folks who are still starting out, like it's going to be a bit of a trek. And I don't enjoy saying that, but it's sort of like the most honest answer that I can give. Yeah. Is well, that can I, can I push back just a little bit, Andy? Because it does, I guess, afforded hindsight. It looks like you've been extremely fortunate in that network that you've cultivated over the years. But I mean, that might be the answer there is to even those that don't have that quote unquote network to put themselves in situations where they can make those serendipitous connections over time, even if that's virtual meetups, you know, I, I've heard other people have had success with that. So I think there's definitely something to that uh, if you don't have that to start cultivating that. And I feel like the an added bonus to that is that, you know, you have ownership in that process. It's not like you're sending out an application and hoping to hear back. It's you're actively showing up to a, a, a meetup or something virtual or on site or maybe both. So, yeah, I don't know if you have a, any, any thoughts in that regard, but that just that, that kind of came up. Yeah, I would say that's definitely true. So, like, related to that, I have thoughts around networking, but I'm always like, oh, I feel like everyone talks about networking. I know some, just speaking with mentees and coaches, like, I feel like a lot of candidates are kind of like <laughs> a little bit tired of being told, like, you got to network, 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 but it's just like... Don't call it that, Andy. Call yeah, just it, don't call it that. Call, um, call you know, I think else. Alicia Novin, I think it was Alicia Novin, or... Maybe it was Brian Chet. Someone, someone in my sea of LinkedIn connections said, approach it as like you're making friends. And I'm like, yeah, that's a pretty good yeah. perspective to have. Um, I, I think I would go a little bit further and say that as you're networking, it's important to know like what your end goal is, is in networking, like deliberately, but not necessarily. Um, not necessarily showing your hand or making it about job searching. Sure. So like, I, I've been trying to figure out how to say this in a post to be honestly, but you know, when I think back to my own experiences, like what have been those situations that I've been able to leverage that like guaranteed someone a role? Like I put in a lot of referrals, but the first time I actually got one through was like, I was on a team that like, A, I'm on the team. B, I have trust with the manager. So, you know, I have leverage. And C, we have a goal for the team that I'm on with the manager that trusts me. And I'm able to just like push them forward. Yeah. Like I'm batting close to a hundred 
with that, you know, um, you know, uh, this is just personal experience, so it doesn't apply everywhere, but I kind of feel like, you know, even when there is headcount, who's like the first person who's going to know, like it's first person is going to be the hiring, like the manager themselves. Yeah. Second person is going to be like the engineers on their team. Yeah. And like somewhere down the line and maybe, you know, someplace to have to slip around, it's going to be like recruiting. So like, for example, like me, you know, I have access to docs and whatnot. Um, and I have generally have a sense of like, okay, what roles are coming down the line? Um, and that's for me exciting because it's kind of like, oh, yeah, I can see like we're going to open up like, you know, L3, L4 soon. And that's exciting. But I think folks don't know and they should know that if they have an interest in like having that in, it's going to be, you know, recruit, like getting connected as closely as you can to like A, you know, hiring managers before they even know or then when they're in the process of trying to get approval and secondarily just like engineers on those teams who will be hearing from the managers are like hey you know because this is a situation i've seen come up multiple times where it's like you know my manager before talent approves something to even be published publicly they'll let us know like hey like we are going to be opening up a role soon if you know anyone put them to the door yeah yeah no that makes so sense. it's kind of like a being aware of that and not being afraid to connect directly. And it's, it's going to be difficult. Like I've had, I've recommended this to some coaches and they'll be like, Oh, you know, but you only get like, you know, 10% or some like percentage rate of return on that. If people accept your connections, yeah. but I, I guess it's sort of like, you got to do the math a little bit, like, you know, doing, a lot of applications that are cold applications with like X percent rate versus spending a commiserate amount of time doing things the hard way. I mean, again, I don't feel like, especially in this market, there's a right way to do anything. It's just more of a, you know, feel free to pick a hybrid approach and prioritize where you apply and what, what method you apply based yeah. on how much you value that particular role. Yeah. In my own kind of like perspective, my own kind of way, I feel like that's, the big challenge is kind of like making sure you have like the right pipeline of opportunities coming through. Yeah. And if for whatever reason you do have that pipeline coming through, then the harder part is kind of like making sure you're prepared at all times. Yeah. So like, you know, solve problems, but you know, don't overdo it. Like if you're early in your career, I would say, I mean, for me as an interviewer who, who has interviewed early career candidates in the past, I would say probably one of the, the top, priorities I would make is just making sure that you're able to like code quickly and efficiently just because once you're in the interview so much of the the cognitive overhead that you're dealing with is trying to balance like coding and talking at the same time so it's, yeah. I found that like to the extent that you're able to just like code and have it feel kind of like intuitive like you don't have to like you don't have to think about you know what for loop you need to use to iterate over a collection or a map like you don't even really need to think about you know oh what's going to be like the predicate i need to apply this method or oh is this like you know what's the signature for this asynchronous programming spiel it's like to the extent that you're able to do all that without thinking is really helpful and for that i'm like you know again context i dislike lead code but for this purpose i feel like lead code easy problems are like a really good exercise because most of them tell you what to do. Mm. It's very much just kind of like read a prompt, train the set up the code, yeah. 
yeah. and you've got it. I think if you're not really adept at like taking your thought process and translating it into like code without a lot of like translation layers here that you're running through internally, like try to get that out of the way um, sooner rather than later. Um, or at least sooner rather than later when you're at that phase where like you're starting to do more like yeah. technical interviews. Um, and from there, it's just more like practice rehearsal. Yeah. I am like such a stickler for uh, mock interview prep because I felt like personally, it's like the highest return on investment. You can't really beat just having someone, even if it's not like a train interviewer just looking at you, like, you can't really beat that feeling of like eyes on you. Yeah. You have to do the performance multitask all at once. So like do that, make until it feels normal, feels like comfortable with it, yeah. or at least it feels like less unintuitive. And then, okay, I have to, on my kind of like last bit, always negotiate, please always negotiate. I, I actually looked at my, uh, the last time I had a referral accepted and my manager like signed an offer, he actually kind of made fun of me because <laughs> he was like, Hey, this person didn't negotiate. I thought you offered coaching. Like, what's what's that about? <laughs> I was like, it's not my fault. I told him. Yeah. Like, I told him, like, please negotiate. Otherwise, you're gonna make me make me look bad. Because it's like, what am I actually offering? But like, please always negotiate. Sometimes when you're early in your career, you're getting your first job. It's like there's this hesitation make sometimes, or there's a hesitation that comes from like you're finally everything's over. You kind of got it in. And you forget that even if you're brand new, you still have a right to ask for more. You should still ask for more. Even if it's only like a thousand dollars extra, that's what, you know, you being able to buy yourself takeout once a day, every day for lunch, which is what I would do with if I have an extra thousand dollars in salary. Um, but yeah, like don't, I mean, it's a little, it's, it's, it's a little bit like counter, like 50, 50. Cause on the other hand, it's like, you know, crappy market, Negotiating is going to be a lot harder, right. whatever, but like, you know, your just your presence on a team's, on a team's team and that effort that they put in to hire you, like you have all, you never not have a tiny bit of leverage to at least ask for a little bit more. Worst thing they can do is shut the door in your face. And if they do, then psh, like, why would you want to work there in the first place? Yeah, no, good point. Great point there. And I, that's, that's certainly something that's challenged my own. I, I guess preconceived notions that I had in regards to the initial negotiation when breaking into tech. And I appreciate being challenged on that fact. And I, I feel like I'm pretty much convinced that uh, I think you're onto something there. So, yeah. Well, man, I, I appreciate it. I know we're a little bit past time. Are you up for a, a quick hot seat so we can better understand the psychology of Andy Wong? Yeah, of course. Go for it. Cool. All right. First question. What does your typical morning routine look like? My daughter, my older daughter, Rolls over, slaps me in the face, basically treats me like an alarm clock, wakes me up. I uh, <laughs> I try to wrangle her and change her diaper while she's like kicking upwards at me with her little legs. I can't tell you how many times she's like knocked my glasses off or just like sucker punched me in the chin. I'm just kind of like, <laughs> if you were anyone but my daughter, I would be so mad at you right now. Nice. But she's just like giggling the whole time. She's like, <laughs> I'm so naughty. You can't, you can't be mad at me. Yeah, basically she's a troublemaker. She has my personality, which is a problem. Mm. Like she knows. 
but yeah, I change her, get her, you know, give her breakfast. I, you know, we babysit her. So I drop her off for the day, come back usually to have breakfast. I'm very boring. I just eat like heart healthy cereal or for my heart healthy cereal anyway. Um, and yeah, I basically just like, if my wife isn't up yet, maybe I'll take care of a little bit, stay with my younger daughter a little bit. But, you know, I don't really have a routine for just jumping into work. I mean, okay. that's kind of, I guess, my family life now that I have two kids, yeah. more responsibilities. But, um, yeah, I jump into work and I try my very best to focus. And it doesn't really click until an hour in. So it's kind of like the days that I get to sign on early, it's like, oh, yay, it's 8 a.m. I can finally get started at 9. Nice. Yeah. Oh, I love it. Bad life. All right. Next question. If you woke up with unlimited money, what do you think you'd do every day? I think you answered this earlier, but I'm still interested in what that answer would be. Uh, if I don't money, I'd probably just travel with my kids all the time. Like I, I'm one of these, um, I one of these dads who I look back on things that I did or did not have in my own childhood. And I think I would like for my kids to have certain things and for them to be to the extent that I'm able to have them be like a better version of me. Yeah. And then my wife will be like, but you're just, you know, some, someone out there will be like, but Andy, you're just you. How do you know what a better version of you looks like when you you're still working yourself into that? I say, shut up. I'm trying my best. <laughs> That's all we can do. Right? <laughs> I'm doing my best. Eh? Yeah. <laughs> Don't stop my hype train. But no, I think I would just, I try to give my kids a lot more exposure and worldliness. Um, you know, that's, uh, you know, I might still put them in daycare, but I'd probably spend more, some time, more time with my wife as well, because again, we're both busy, but, um, yeah, maybe get, put them in a, some childcare and just like sleep yeah. <laughs> and sleep in. I don't remember the last, that's, 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 that's a real kicker. I can't remember the last time I slept in, like really slept in yeah. like college days, wake up at noon, slept in. Yeah. Like I wouldn't know what to do with my life if that ever happened. Right. But you know, once in a while, I, I would like that. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Are there any books or podcasts that have had the biggest impact on you? Yours. <laughs> Stop it. Um, books, books, podcasts. I mean, technical books. I feel like designing data-intensive applications is what really helped me prepare for senior interviews. Um, and just like a general plug, like I feel for early career devs, it's so important to understand just like how to think about an application or architecture like systemically in terms of like, you know, here's input from a user on an app or some kind of client interface. What's that full journey of how that traverses, you know, uh, DNS, API gateways, load balancers to your application, how it hops between different services and basically comes all the way back to an end user. Uh, I found that if you're able to kind of understand your work in that full context, it definitely gives a bit of an edge. But for that sort of perspective, I recommend DDIA. It's, for me, it was a really enjoyable read as someone who reads a lot of really like dry tech books during interview prep. Um, as far as like non-technical books, <laughs> I'm trying to, okay, this is, this is why, this is, you can tell my parent, the last non-technical book I read was the Mayo Clinic's guide to taking care of your ch- kid through the first 36 months. That's I'm still making my way through that. So 
Uh, I don't remember anything beyond that. But that is also good. That's also a good read. Uh, it's uh, yeah, absolutely. You get to see uh, in some page, like the first few months, they have like a picture on each start of each chapter. It's like here's how big, like a true to life uh, pic picture of how big your little baby is. It's kind of like, oh, okay, that's yeah. that's alarming. Yeah. Okay, cool. This one wasn't planned, but I am curious. How are you keeping up with the ever-changing tech landscape in terms of upskilling or using ChatGPT? Are you leveraging Copilot, anything like that to continuously learn? So I would say, so okay, I, I hope none of my managers are listening to this. Maybe they're not listening to you, but you know, I'm, uh, I haven't really done a whole lot, a lot of upskilling recently. Um, part of that is I'm actually, I, I actually feel like I'm in a pretty good spot right now in terms of like seniority and comp and everything, you know, I'm not an excessively greedy person. Like I knew early on, like, hey, these are my goals and I can sustain myself and my family for a amount of time, you know, chasing, you know, numbers and meaningless titles and being in part of that rat race, I've always kind of found a little bit uncomfortable. And so like, I mean, I still have to upskill. Everyone should upskill all the time. But I think I'm not necessarily upskilling now for the sake of pursuing something higher. I'm upskilling just to stay good at my job sure. and to be content. But like, I've sort of unofficially taken myself out of the rat race because I'm like, I'm, I'm really happy. I, I'm kind of, and I recommend everyone as an exercise, like take stock of where you are and figure out like at what point is like your terminal level comp, et cetera. Or do you want to like keep pushing and go like staff principal, like whatever echelons. But for me, I'm, you know, having reached a point where I kind of know what I want and what I'm happy with has been a little bit of a revelation. Yeah. So like, I mean, do I use those tools? Not yet, might look into it. But for me, a lot of upskilling for the work that I do really just comes internally. Um, I think part of it also is just because like the specific domains I've been working in. So like, you know, early on, if you're just tracing the evolution, you know, I started out in like digital marketing tech, e-commerce, health tech, I don't even want you like air flying tech and now fintech. And each of these domains is actually like surprisingly niche. Like I'm not gonna get significantly better at my job by, you know, leveraging ChatGPT and asking it to explain to me all these like international like money transfer guidelines. It's kind of like a lot of it is for at least my role and my role I'm happy with and I'm looking forward to staying here for a little bit is just kind of like domain knowledge domain like tribal knowledge i'm going to be getting from coworkers. Yeah. Um, <laughs> i like I, I was going to say part of the reason i don't do any of this anymore upskilling anymore is because i'm already top of my game but it's like no that's not true <laughs> you can't get any better that, that, that's not true at all but i do like a lot i do learn a lot just from like, my peers yeah. um you know i'm thankful to be an organization to where there's a really big emphasis on like learning in public and transparency mm -hmm. and like trust by default. You can look all these values up. Yeah. But um, 
you know, I've got pretty accessibility to, you know, more senior engineers. So they are my go-to. Yeah, that's awesome. You've got that culture. And also, maybe more importantly, that you've you found yourself, so to speak, and you know what you want, which is, I think, that that's the goal in life. So that's amazing. Andy, is there anything else that you uh, wanted to talk about that we didn't? No, I think that's covered it. Cool. I'd, be, I'd be shocked if there's still anything left after a two-parter. Yeah, no, man. And I just want to thank you again so much for coming on and sharing your story. I know I found it fascinating. I know many of your readers will as well. So again, thank you for coming on and uh, sharing the crazy, awesome journey that you've had so far. And we're uh, looking forward to watching it continue. Thank you so much. And for all my readers, please swarm James. Give him all the attention he deserves. Thanks for listening. If you got value from today's show, please consider leaving a five-star rating and a review on Apple or Spotify. It's a free way you can support the show and help other people just like you find the story and others like it. If you enjoyed this conversation, be sure to follow the show on whatever podcast application you use. And most importantly, if you know someone that might be interested in breaking into tech, tell them about the show.